When you've had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, how do you carry the message to others and practice recovery in all your affairs? Welcome to episode 297 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Mary Ann, BT, Patricia, Penelope, and Juliet. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Mary Ann, BT, Patricia, Penelope, and Juliet for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I am your host today. Today, closing out the series of presentations on the 12 Steps by Mary Pearl T. from her wonderful workshop. Apparently, they had to swap the tape right at the beginning of her presentation on Step 12. So Step 12 is... Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry the message to others and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Mary Pearl starts in the middle of a story here, but I think you'll pick up the thread. Come on, as I said, I tried a little bit of everything. I said, I may be doing literature one month, I may be cheering, I may be this, that, but I said, and she says, but yes, you go out, and I said, I'm just another Al-Anon, and don't you ever forget it. Don't put the burden on me to put me on a pedestal. Because I have just been given a gift to be able to share with you. But when you share in your meeting, what you say in that meeting be more important than anything I'll say this whole weekend. You never know how God's going to use you. You never know. And sometimes it's just seeing that smiling face. We had a guy come and, and he was supposed to speak at the meeting and he got there an hour and a half before the meeting. So when we were there opening up, he's there. And I, what's the matter? He said, I'm scared to death to talk. So I thought I would hug everybody that come in. So by the time that I got up to talk, I'd know everybody. They wouldn't be a stranger. And so when he got up to talk, he says, they're all my friends. Now I can share. You see, those kind of things. Be that one to go over and to give that person a hug. And when you see they're having a hard time, ask them, you know, can I share with you after the meeting? Would you like to talk? Do you have my phone number? You know, sometimes we get with our favorite few and we talky-talky-talk with our favorite few. And we, we don't, you know, anytime I see anybody in the meeting, I don't know who they are. I want to go over and say, I'm Mary Pearl. Who are you? You know, is this your first meeting? Sometimes they'll say, oh, no, I've been in a long time. Well, welcome to Rose City, because I know you're new here, because I'm here all the time. So I know who the newcomers are, or the first-timers, or the visitors, or what have you, because it's the people that you don't know. And what's so fun to me is to have somebody come who's been in a workshop or a, a conference or something where I've seen them at some point, and they said, we were coming through Arkansas, and I just said, we got to go to Mary Pearl's group. I said, that's not the name of the group. <laughs> The name of the group is the Rose City Big Book Black Belt Al-Anon Family Group. If you can say it three or four times without stumbling over it, that's good, you know. They also, they have nicknames for us. They call us the Rose City Rubbers. <laughs> because somebody may be sitting there and rubbing you on the back if you're having a hard time. 
We believe in the power of the human touch. We'll say, would you, could you, could you stand a pad or a rope? And you'd be surprised how nice that is sometimes. And I can remember when I would go to those meetings and uh, I was the third member of the Rose City group. The other two are gone. So I'm the, um, we're celebrating our 30th anniversary this month. In fact, two weeks from Monday, we will be having our 30th anniversary. And, um, it was amazing though, because you know, some days I'd be having a hard time and all I had to do was pull up and park in front of the building and it's safe because you know there's going to be a meeting. You're going to be okay. That feeling of being safe says to practice the spiritual principles. You know, what are those spiritual principles? Does anybody ever tell you what the spiritual principles are? Does anybody know what the spiritual principles are? Well, the program principles to me are honesty, love, dedication, freedom, happiness, joy, dignity, integrity, self-discipline, acceptance, surrender, hope, spirituality, faith, anonymity, humility. The list can go on and on and on. It's all of those things that come together, you know, to make it what it is. And I can tell you another thing. If I couldn't have had fun in recovery, I wouldn't have stayed. (coughs) Fellowship is different than working the steps. You can go to the meetings, but you can't live forever on the fellowship. It's sort of like having handrails to the steps. You know, the things you can hang on to, the slogans and the the fellowship you can hang on to, but you've got to walk the steps. The steps is where the program is. And I love it when I get 12-step calls, and they'll talk for an hour, and they'll scream and whine and tell you how bad it is in their life, and I'll say, we have a meeting tomorrow night at 6.30. Well, I couldn't possibly come. That's my bowling night. (laughs) Well, supper, bitch. Um... (laughs) Lots of compassion. <laughs> but you know, sometimes, don't despair. You know, for all of the 12-step calls you get, if you get one out of 12 that'll actually get to a meeting, or one that'll stay, that's a miracle, you know? Because people have to be ready, you know? They have to be where they don't have any other options a lot of times, you know? And they come sometimes when they're uncomfortable. But when you come when you're desperate... It makes an altogether different story, you know. Because people who are desperate will grasp at any life preserver that's thrown at them, you know. We'll do that. There's a girl that used to call me, and she lived out of town in another part of our state. And she would run away from home and come to Little Rock and check in a motel. And she'd call me, and they'd call me from the answering service, and I'd 12-step her. And finally I got to where I said, why are you even bothered to call them? Why don't you just call me to start with? And she says, well, I feel so bad because I've, I've not gotten to a meeting and you've talked to me three or four times. And I said, well, i tell you what, this will be the last time I'll talk to you. Now, what do you think about that? She says, oh, my God. I said, that's right. I said, you know, if I give you a meeting over the telephone, you don't have to go to a meeting. And I said, we've done this little dance too many times. Well, several years later, I got a 
card from this girl, and she was in another state. And she said, I just wanted you to know I've been elected the GR for my group, and I've been up here for two years. And she said, I finally got to Al-Anon, and I wanted you to know that all of those calls you made were for not for nothing. Because when I really, really needed it, I knew where to go to get it. So see, you never know. Those calls, see, you think sometimes it's frustrating because you can't get them to go, but you never know. But every time you show up for a meeting and you participate, you know, I like for people to, everybody has an opportunity to participate. Just sitting there like on a log won't get it any better. You know, usually when I'm sponsoring newcomers, I'll tell them, you know, um, honey, uh, you don't have anything we want. So you shut up and you listen for a while. And when you have something to share, we'll let you know. And they'll look at me and I'll say, come on. What I'm saying is, if you will not take up meeting time with problems and instead spend meeting time with solutions, everybody will hear what they need to hear. I said, but if we get off on trying to fix your problems at the meeting, a lot of people's situations are not going to be addressed. And it's not just about you. But everybody here needs to be able to get something and take it from the meeting. Did you know I hear people make the statement, I've never been to a bad meeting, and I thank God you hadn't been to enough meetings. Because <laughs> I've been to some bad meetings over the years, you know. And the thing about it is you can learn something from a bad meeting. You can learn how not to be. You can learn what to do, what not to do, how to be, how not to be. You can learn something in any one of those meetings. You know, but I tell people that are new, I'll say, listen, when you go to the meetings. And then after the meeting, we'll talk about what you've heard. And we'll see what you can take home tonight for you. And, you know, my, my sponsor drove me nuts one night. I told her, I said, uh, I can't go to the meeting. And she said, okay. And it wasn't a big deal. I mean, I was going every night. And uh, so I, when I got home that night, I called her and I said, well, what did I miss? And she said, I don't know. I said, didn't you go? She said, oh, yeah, I went and I got what I needed. I will never know what you missed. (laughs) That's mean, you know. (laughs) And that's true because everybody, you know, it's real funny. You'll hear what you need to hear in the meeting. You'll hear what you need to hear if you're listening. But if you're there and somebody is going into this litany of he and they and it and what and talking about problem, 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 then being the helpful people we are, you're going to have 50 solutions or as many as you got people there on how to solve that problem. And so now it's been so-and-so's meeting. It hadn't been the group meeting. So that's the reason that we, we, we believe in focusing on recovery instead of on sickness. Um, and then the joy of working with others. Uh, I got a 12-step call, and this girl was saying she thought her husband was an alcoholic, and she didn't know what to do. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. There's a meeting tomorrow night. I'll pick you up, and we'll go. And so I went by and picked her up. And I'm a toucher. You know, I'm a patter toucher. And so when she got in the car, I reached over, and I patted her on the leg, and I said, it'll be okay. She almost jumped out the car. <laughs> she was the kind, if people knocked on her door, she hid under her bed. Literally. She was terrified. And she was the first person that came to our group that didn't have someone in AA. Did you know that years ago, everybody in, that was in Al-Anon had somebody in AA? It was mainly the spouses of alcoholics. 
We didn't have the brothers, sisters, kids, aunts, uncles, dogs, gerbils. We didn't have all that then. It was just the people who had someone in there. And so we were in great shape. And another thing, I received lots and lots of help by going to the open AA meetings because the members of Alcoholics Anonymous could not have been more welcoming and loving to Al-Anon. A lot of that changed over the years in various locations and what have you, and that's a sad comment. But I think it was because, like for instance, in my home group, when we started, we were in the back corner of the room with a petition, and the AAs were meeting up in the front, the same room at the same time, because it's just one big room. And so there was only three of us, and we decided that we got tired of them yelling, shut up back there in the peanut gallery. And I said, why don't we have the meetings over at my house? I'm only six blocks away. And they can drop you all off and then pick you up on the way back. And when they'd pick them up, they'd all stay over and we'd have all this fellowship and everything at the house. And we did that for a couple of years till I evicted the group. We outgrew my home. It became too much of a hassle every week. I said, do you realize that everybody here has a choice if they want to go to the meeting but me? It's in my house. And I said, y'all get up, you walk out, you leave your coffee cups sitting around, you leave your ashtrays sitting around. This is not, I mean, this isn't the way you would do a real meeting. And I resent it. And I want you to do something. And so for two meetings, they did. And then they went right back, so I evicted them. (laughs) Best thing we ever did. Because what we did, we found out, you know, we could meet on another night besides the nights that the AAs met. And people who wanted to come to Al-Anon came to Al-Anon because they wanted to go to Al-Anon instead of someplace to go while Daddy was in a meeting. And then we began to get all the different ones that are coming in, the brothers, the sisters, the children, the aunts, the uncles. We began to get more when we weren't just doing husband and wife in AA and Al-Anon. You know, so it has something to be said for it. But you got to remember, people may be doing the very best they can for where they're at at the time. Sometimes that's not very good, you know. And sometimes, did you know, one of my pet peeves in a meeting is when we have a newcomer and somebody will say, you're the most important person in the group. The newcomer is not the most important person in the group. If everybody were newcomers in the group, who would have anything to give the newcomers? And we tell it's a fellowship of equal, but you're the most important in the group. I'm saying, no, everyone is important in the group. No one is more important. And if there aren't there people there who have programmed to give the newcomer, what have we got? You know, what have we got? But yes, they're the new lifeblood of the program, the new ones coming in. But if you don't have your old ones to give the new ones something, then what have you got? You know. And then uh, I'm responsible to pass on the message as it was given to me. That was undiluted. When I came in, we were Al-Anon. That's it. Al-Anon. We weren't children of, aunts of, uncles of, dogs of. We weren't. We were Al-Anon, and we did the Al-Anon program. We didn't diversify into all this stuff and dilute our program down. We didn't have to have separate pieces of literature for every kind of situation in the world. Al-Anon is Al-Anon. You work the Al-Anon program, you get the benefits of the Al-Anon program. Because in our hearts, we all are just hearts that hurt. That's what my sponsor told me. When I came in, I told her, I said, I don't think I want you to sponsor me because you're black and I'm a racist, and that's just not going to work. And she says, well, you know, in here we're not colors. We're not religions. We're none of those things. We're hearts that hurt. And a heart that hurts knows no boundaries. And because of her, I learned to love all people, all colors, 
all creeds, all everything. It was just what I needed, just what I needed. And newcomers, you got to remember, you're only hearing one part of the story when you listen to newcomers. It was amazing to me. I was sponsoring this girl. I went to an open AA meeting. Her husband spoke. And I wouldn't have known that was her husband. <laughs> Not from the way she described him. I would never have got it. So just remember, you're only hearing one side of the story on a lot of this stuff. But your best asset is always going to be your experience. Because in God's hands, the darkest path can be the key to life and happiness for others. When we're willing to open up and share the darkness of our soul, it gives the other person's permission to bring that darkness out to the light of their soul. That is one of the neatest things. And financial recovery is possible too. I've seen miracles there, you know. And God has always blessed us. And then I've learned how to have fun like I never had before. I'm telling you, there's nothing more fun than to get a bunch of crazy alcoholics and Al-Anons together having a good time. I have a girl I sponsor in Idaho, and we go up there, and we have a family raft trip down Hell's Canyon on the Snake River, which is world-class rafting. I mean, we have rapids that you won't believe. And, I mean, you go completely under, and that is more fun. It's a hundred and some odd degrees outside, and that water is 60 degrees. You think, and we have water fights going down the river. We get water cannons and kill one another. Just drown one another with ice cold water. It's just more fun. <laughs> As I say, I love adventure. You know, I'm still into that. Um, some of the miracles that have happened is like JD and my relationship. I have a relationship with my husband I never dreamed possible. If you'd have been, Asking me what all I wanted out of a relationship, I would have shortchanged myself. I would have shortchanged myself. J.D. and I will be married 37 years in November. And I promised myself I would never give more than seven years continuous service to any one man. You know, I promised myself that. But there it is. You know, one time I asked J.D., I said, uh, we had been married about six years at the time. And I asked him, I said, what do you see us doing 20 years from today? He said, hell, I only got one more year to go. I'm out. You know, that seven-year deal. You know? <laughs> oh, now, and here's a woman who could not have any natural children. Now, you know, that was one of those things that bugged me for a long time. And then I saw your children, and I was grateful. And... Uh, <laughs> I, don't have the, I don't have the patience to deal with little children. I really don't. God knew that. It was a blessing for everybody. Trust me. But I have my children of the Spirit. And those are the people that I sponsor and they sponsor and they sponsor. I have 11 generations of sponsorship. And I'm so grateful because I've got, like for instance, I was able to meet some of my grandkids this weekend that I didn't know existed. And a great grandkid that was here. Uh, that's just been super, super wonderful to me, the sponsorship family. Um, I have friends all over the world, absolutely all over the world. I get emails from places that I've never even heard of before, and they'll, they'll call and they'll say, I know you because I have your tapes. And you see, y'all know me better than my own family ever knew me because I, I, could be, I could be me with you. I didn't have any other acts to grind with my family for a long, long time. Uh, I take vacations. 
And uh, there's a couple out in California that J.D. and I go on vacations with. They'll come to Arkansas, and we leave from Arkansas, or we'll go to California and leave from there. And uh, best friends that we never knew each other before the program, you know, and we met at a conference, those kind of things. My sister and I uh, decided in 1980 that we wanted to go to Hawaii, and we enjoyed that so much. Dorothy and I were able to go back eight times eight times and spend a month in one of the most beautiful spots in the world. Wouldn't want to live there forever because I like seasons, but it is a beautiful, beautiful place, and I have lots of fun, fun memories and stories for that. Um, I have fun memories of when my mother was in the nursing home. Now, you know, a nursing home is usually sort of a down, you think, but the nursing home where uh, Dorothy is is the same one mother was, and my mother was... um, she had had strokes, and she couldn't talk or anything, but she was not paralyzed at that point, and she would make great escapes, great escapes from the nursing home. And there's a sonic drive-in a few blocks away, and so she went hot-footing it down there one day, and, and she got in the car with a lady at the sonic drive-in. Now, she's in, in her little flip-flops and her house coat and her gown, and my mother can't talk. Because her throat's probably, but she goes, we will, we will, we will. She makes this sound. So she gets in the car with this woman. She's going, we will, we will, we will, we will. And the woman pushed the button and she said, help, help. There's a nut in the car with me. And the police arrived about the same time the team from the nursing home did, you know. They had figured that's where the commotion was. That's where mother was. And they called me and they said, you've got to do something with your mother. And I laughed. I said, I've never been able to do anything with my mother. I am powerless. But, you know, I have a memory, too, of that last Christmas. Now, my mother, who didn't love me, gave me 18 years of music lessons. She made all the sacrifices. She wanted me to be a concert pianist. I trained to be one. I would have been one, but she wanted it too much. (laughs) That rebellion, you know, I'm not going to do it because that's what you want. And so I played for my amusement and your amazement, you know. (laughs) And I did that for years and years. But anyway, while Mother was in the nursing home, uh, it was Christmas and Christmas Eve, and we had ice and snow, and they said, don't anybody get on the road. And I said, I can get on the road and drive. I lived in Newfoundland. I can do this deal. And so I I get my portable keyboard, and I go down to the nursing home, and I set it up, and I want you to know they love music. The people at the nursing home really respond to music. And so I'm playing all of this, and at this point my mother's paralyzed pretty much, and um, she doesn't know who I am most of the time, and sometimes I don't either, you know, how that goes, (laughs) but anyway, I'm down there, I'm playing, and I happen to look over, and Mama is keeping time with the music, my Mama knew I was there, because see, Mama used to tell me at Christmas, she'd say, Miracle, go in there and play, I want to see my investment, (laughs) so I would always play for her at Christmas, and so that's what I gave my mother, and my mother knew I was there, and that was her gift to me. And she died on the 1st of February after that. And you know something? I was okay. Why was I okay? Because my mother was released from that body that was of no value to her. And perhaps now my mother could be happy, joyous, and free because she was out of this life. I often wish that she would have come to Al-Anon or gotten some help, but my mother was not going to do that. But, you know, the bottom line was I was, and so I was able to give her unconditional love. Which was, there's not anybody in this world that doesn't respond to unconditional love. And I was able to be okay. And my sister and I were 
standing there in the visitation room. Everybody had left. And my mother had one by word, and it was shit. She'd get aggravated. That's what would come out. And Dorothy, uh, my mother's sister, was there. And uh, this crazy funeral director had said that the first thing people do when they go in to see a visitation is they won't know if the person looks natural. And I'm thinking, no, they look dead. They don't look natural. <laughs> You've never seen them quite like this before. How could they look natural? See, that's my mind. You know, I'm not saying anything. I'm just going, mm-hmm. And then she says, and then they will look to see if the chest is moving. I think, Jesus, if the chest is moving, we're all in trouble. <laughs> so Aunt Dorothy and I were, were laughing about that after everybody had left. And I said, you know what mama's test would be? And Dorothy says, what? I said, watch. So I go up there and I pat her on the hand. And I said, okay, mama, say shit. And I looked at Dorothy. She's dead. <laughs> She didn't say it. She's dead. That's it. There's the test for mama. And we got the laughing so hard. We were down just squalling laughing. And the funeral director thought we were in grief. (laughs) And she came in. She's trying to console us. We're going, shut up. (laughs) Go away. Those are funny memories, you know. I've learned to be comfortable in my own skin. I've learned to be comfortable with other people, and I can just be me. You know, not every, you know, I've come to realize in this life that not everybody's going to like you no matter what you do, and there's some that's going to like you no matter what you do. <laughs> so there you are. So I'm going to be happy with those that like me and those that don't. You got a problem. Ain't mine. And I found out, too, when I got my heart problem, that I made a whole new bunch of friends at the rehab hospital at the water aerobics. Nearly everybody was there because they had some kind of problem. They were all earth people, if you will. And they were super nice. And I have a lot of friends that are not necessarily in Al-Anon, but they're living spiritual way of life. You can always tell. They're the people who are upbeat, who are happy, who are not bitching and complaining about everything. And some days I can be one of those. But these were all the things I would have missed if I hadn't loved an alcoholic. And I can remember when I came in and people said, I love an alcoholic. I thought, you crazy, crazy person. Or I'm glad that my husband's an alcoholic, you know, something like that. Well, let me tell you, of all the diseases that you can have, I'm glad my husband is an alcoholic because it was a disease that would bring a way of life for me. And I'm just selfish enough to want that, you know? I can have a life that is better beyond anything I've ever known because my husband is an alcoholic. Over the last few years, uh, we've lost a lot, a lot of friends. Uh, We've seen people after 25 years go back out and drink again. It's so sad, but it's a disease. See, that's the thing you have to remember, and it's a very patient disease. It's always waiting. But I've also seen people. How many people are still coming to your group that were there when you first came? I was looking at that the other day, and I'm saying, you know, I bet you I know 200 people that have come in and out of our group over the years and are not there today. But I am, you know. Because I still get what I need. I still get my spiritual feeding. I'm still with my family. And I'm so grateful. 
I am so grateful that I have a family because, you see, Dorothy is my only living relative, natural kin left. And other than J.D. with us having no children, that's it. But do you know I have a worldwide family? A worldwide family. That is amazing to me. People that I love and people who love me. You know, like say, J.D.'s gotten diabetes, and they told me last December that I'm borderline, so we had to rearrange all of how we live and do one more time. And uh, But, you know, we feel better, and we're in better health. My doctor says, you, he says, you are just amazing. He says, you got such a will. I said, let me tell you about will. <laughs> he says, well, when I tell you to do something, I know you're going to do it. And I said, well, why else? I said, do you think I'm going to come here, spend money, and then not do what I'm told to do? I said, that would be crazy, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? You know, why go to the doctor if you're not going to? And at the thing, I've had so many neat highs, you know. It's like I've been to Toronto many times, and every time I would go, I would get to see Phantom of, an Opera, Phantom of the Opera so many times. And that's it's like the I was doing prearrangements for my sister, and I said, might as well take care of mine too while I'm here. And the guy says, well, what would you like? And he said, uh, and I said, oh, well, somebody will show up to... To, to do the deal. And he said, like who? And I said, oh, I don't know, but somebody will show up. And he says, we don't do things like that. I said, oh, yeah, we do, though. You know, it's like, how do I know who will want to officiate or whatever? I said, that's not up to me. And he said, uh, well, do you have a music? Oh, yes, I want, um, let's see, music of the night from Fano of the Opera, and I'd like uh, Little Darlings by the Diamonds. He says, what is that? I said, oh, little darling, oh, little darling. (laughs) He said, at a wake, and I said, oh, yeah, it wakes the dead. I love it. I said, it's one of my favorites. I said, I'll bring you a copy so you'll have it on hand. (laughs) They just don't understand us, you know, that we don't have to be in in a rut or we don't have to be like everybody else. You know, we can do our deals. And I want you to know that I'm real appreciative to get to come up here to Canada because there's a lot of people that I love up here in Canada and uh, that are very special to my heart. My dogs that I have today in uh, November of 1991, uh, the 1st of November, I came up here and I got my two dogs. I got them in Arthur, Ontario. I'm willing to go to any lengths to get a dog. (laughs) Five-day trip, get a dog, get a dog, you know. I love that. Uh, I tell you one thing I had that was so funny. Uh, I was over at Bonnie's house one time, and she says, would you like to skinny dip? I said, I haven't been skinny dipping since I was a kid. She said, we got a pool in the back. It's dark. My husband's not here. It's just us. I said, but there's planes flying over. <laughs> she said, they're like ants in the sky. I said, okay. So we got out there and I said, oh my God, Bonnie, boobs float. (laughs) I found pieces of skin I didn't know I had. (laughs) Well, the last time I skinny dipped, I didn't have any boobs, for God's sake. (laughs) We had more fun. We laughed and we laughed. (laughs) And then one time I was coming in... uh, I got over to Detroit, and Bonnie picked me up at the airport, and it was Mother's Day, and she's got a surprise for you. And I said, what? She took me to see the Phantom in Detroit. So special, so special. These are my kids. These are my children of the Spirit. And I I could not be happier. I just could not be happier. Um, 
And during all these changes, the one constant thing that I've had in my life has been my Al-Anon program and my higher power. Those are the two things that I can always fall back on. My higher power in my Al-Anon program, when the chaos is going, I can always center in because I have something that is always there that's always constant. And to me, there's something real comforting about that. And so, like I say, J.D. and I will, on our anniversary, if God willing, if we're so both here, on the 7th of November is our anniversary, but we always celebrate our anniversary on Thanksgiving weekend. The, the U.S. Thanksgiving weekend. It's the last Thursday of the month. And we go up to a place in the mountains there in Arkansas called Eureka Springs. And we stay in a bed and breakfast. It's a three-room suite with a with a hot tub and all like that, a jacuzzi. And we, we've laughed about it because over the years, as, as we've gotten older and things wear out and the arthritis comes, uh, we have to help each other in and out. <laughs> Well, the sides on that tub are high, and if you've got arthritis in your hip, it's hard. So you just sort of slither in, you know. <laughs> and then, you know, he puts his hands under my butt and throws me out, and then I reach over and pull him out. It's hysterical. <laughs> we laugh about that. But we also go up there to a place called the New Moon Spa, and we get something that is so special. We get side-by-side two-hour massages. It's called Full Radiance, and it's not like my experience down in Dallas. (laughs) Ain't a man there, you know. But, I mean, this is something that, like J.D. says, when it's all over, you know, after two hours, you're just limp as a noodle. And he says, honey, you can spit in my face, and I'd say, I love you. And I said, would you really? And he says, please don't, please don't. I said, well, then don't say things like that. It gets my mind going. This program healed our lives, it healed our spirits, it healed our souls. We are happy, joyous, and free, and I hope you can be too. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our lives and in our meetings. It's been another week of acceptance, I think, of the weather at least, and of circumstances. The town that I live in hosts an art fair in usually the third week of July. Almost always, it seems inevitable, but I think there's been a a couple of years in the 30-some-odd years I've lived here that the weather has not been both steamy hot and stormy. Those tend to go together, I guess, in the summer. Thunderstorms in the afternoon. This year was no exception. This week was no exception. We had several days in a row where the heat index was well over 100 degrees and where there was a tremendous thunderstorm in the afternoon or the evening, or both. As I know, I really can't change the weather, but I can live with it. I can't change the fact that the streets are full of thousands of people and are closed to traffic, many of them. But I can live with it, and I can enjoy it. On Friday, I went out from work. The Where I work is sort of right in the middle of the whole mess. I went out from work, and I wandered around the streets, found some lunch from a vendor, of which there are, of course, plenty during this event. And yeah, it was probably 90 degrees and very humid, but I was still able to enjoy my time, take it easy, not walk too fast, not exert myself, and got some 
gelato from a vendor on the street. And, you know, it's a matter of really accepting what is, recognizing that I, I can't stride along as I would like to because there's all these people in the way. And also, you know, slow down and look at the beauty on all sides of me. Look at the beauty on exhibit on sale. And I was not there to buy anything. I was just there to kind of look. Stopped at a friend's booth. They're there every year. Had a chat with my friend. His wife, it's actually his wife's booth, but he was there. We talked about retirement, which he is now. And how they won't be there next year because they'll be moving to Florida. Which, okay, I don't I don't understand. <laughs> he says, why do I want to move to a place where it's like this all the time? But, you know, people's choices are people's choices, I guess, aren't they? Because of the storm Friday night power was out for a lot of people in the city. And in particular, power was out at the church where I usually go for my Saturday morning meeting. Everybody was standing around in the parking lot saying, well, what are we going to do? We talked about going back to a picnic table on the church property and having a little meeting there. But I guess some guys from the AA meeting did that. And we could have gone in the church. The dark wouldn't really have slowed us down a whole lot. There's windows, but there was a fire alarm or some sort of alarm that was very piercing and, and just beep, 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 beep. And we had no way to turn it off. And that would have made the meeting at least difficult, if not painful. So again, acceptance. We accepted what was. We had a little bitty meeting standing in the parking lot. And then we went our separate ways for the rest of the day. Last night, Sunday meeting, we read from... We read from the book Courage to Change for July 21st, which is a reading about not fixing things for other people, not controlling other people. So the reading says, the people I love won't take care of themselves, so I have to do it. How will they survive unless I dot, dot, dot. This was my thinking when I came to Elanon, my excuse for interfering in everyone's business. And a little bit later, it says, when I let go of another person, I am affirming their right to live their own life, to make their own choices, and to grow as they experience the results of their actions. As often happens, there was some some really good sharing on different aspects of this reading. And I thought about a couple of things, one of which I shared. When my child was having some problems in college, actually got suspended from college because as a result of their actions, and I had to fly 2,000 miles to be there to support them while they experienced the results of their actions and did what they could to repair them, which included finding a new place to live with a friend who I didn't really approve of. And I told my child, I said, you know, I'm not I'm not happy about this decision, but it is your decision. You obviously need a place to live. This friend has a spare room you can you can move to. You know, and I had to had to give them that opportunity to grow and learn, which they did eventually, after living with that friend for another year, they realized that this guy was at least dependent on drugs, if not an addict, and that this was causing problems and, and they needed to move out. And so my, my child moved out. And that was, you know, their learning, their growth. This particular kid seems to have to learn from experience, but they do learn from experience. And so if I had stepped in and said, no, 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 they would probably have had to learn that in, in some other way and might not have been as as good an outcome as it was. So that was a good meeting. Looking forward, there's a, a nice round episode number coming up, 300. And I'd like to invite you to share with us some way in which this podcast has perhaps aided your recovery, jump-started your recovery, you know, maybe 
by listening to the podcast, you decided to go to a meeting and and found the program for yourself. Maybe it enhances your recovery. Maybe something, some particular episode really spoke to you. And if you could call or write and prefer a call, you can put those together in our 300th episode. It's a pretty amazing 300. Wow. And how do you do that? Well, you can call and leave a voicemail. You can use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation directly from your computer. And if you prefer, really prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecovery.show. All of this information and more is at therecovery.show slash contact. And our website is therecovery.show. We have notes for each episode, links to the readings and so on that we talk about. You can find any episode at therecovery.show slash number. So therecovery.show slash 297 for this one, for example. Got some, some emails and voicemails this week. Ben writes, hey, Spencer, just wanted to say I heard on the show last week that you were considering an episode on co-parenting with an addict slash alcoholic. As someone living that experience, I'd be happy to help if you need a contribution. And regardless, I'd love for you to do that episode. Best, Ben. Thank you, Ben, for that offer. Hi, Spencer. Before I get to why I'm emailing you this evening, I just wanted to express my heartfelt gratitude for your service of this amazing podcast. I've been listening to you for nearly a year now, and you with your co-hosts and leads have gotten me through some tricky situations and also have given me insight to getting out of others. So I really appreciate all you do and also everyone else's contributions. This is why we are here. Experience, strength, and hope! Exclamation point. I did not realize until tonight that I have really ignored a large part of my recovery in the sense that my origin story is not one that I readily see in meetings and literature, etc. I tried to search the podcast library to see if there are any shares that are similar to mine. I by no means believe myself a snowflake, but there must be others who came through the doors via Alateen, but are now Al-Anon members due to age. I'm searching for my peers in this area and not necessarily identifying as ACOA. Thank you so much, Hart, Lori, California. Thanks, Lori. Yeah, that's, that is a, an experience that would love to have somebody share. Hi, Spencer. First, I love your podcast. I found so much wisdom in yours and others' sharings. I've been a grateful member of Al-Anon since 1993. Al-Anon saved my spiritual life, plain and simple. Although I feel I am more qualified as an ACOA, but meetings around here for ACOA are scarce. The question I have, in your Spiritual Awakenings and Experience, episode 296, you mentioned that you don't share what someone has shared in your meetings unless you said it. My understanding is as long as a name isn't mentioned, it is okay to share what others have shared without the details, such as giving other names from the sharing or details that would out that person. I find other sharings powerful and helpful. Could you please let me know what guidelines this is from? I've never heard of this in all my years in Al-Anon. I understand anonymity very well, as I have been a victim of it. Thanks again for your work. It's helped me in many ways. Be well, MJ. And MJ, this is this is a personal decision that I have come to for myself. Um, and it, it comes out of experiences that, that I have had where in the past I might have shared what somebody said in a meeting and maybe I just put too much detail into it, but somebody else who was there said, you know, I can, I, I know from what you said, who said it, and that makes me very uncomfortable. And I thought, oh, okay. Um, so I will share in a general way things that touched me in a meeting, but I, I really try not to share any details, or even the outline of, of a story, that personal story that somebody else might have told. I don't always manage that. 
but it is something I try to hold myself to. So that's all. DJ says, thank you so very much for this podcast. I've not been to a meeting yet. I'm too chicken. So I've started reaching out by listening to your podcast. After listening for about a week, I'm ready to buy some Al-Anon books and learn more. I will be shopping on Amazon using your link. Hopefully I'll get up the courage to attend a meeting soon. Please know that until then, your podcast is giving me hope that I can have a better quality life no matter my situation. God bless you for the great uplifting work you were doing for so many. Sincerely, DJ. Thanks for writing, DJ. And I, my hope is that you will get up the courage to go to a meeting because personal opinion here, I think there's nothing that really substitutes for face-to-face meeting with other people who are sharing our situation in some way or another, at least emotionally. Kelly writes about parenting with serenity. Hello, Spencer. Thank you for your service with your ongoing podcasts. It has become a wonderful supplement to my Al-Anon program. As the sober parent, I have enjoyed going back and listening to episodes about parenting and as far back as episode 78, Stay or Go, as it is a question that still comes up for me. Also, past episodes on setting boundaries have been true gems for applying Al-Anon tools in my family and work life. I would also like to share my experience in regards to another recent episode when a listener wanted to hear more experiences asking the question, what if my qualifier never finds recovery? This was a constant nagging question for me. I remember for my first year in the program at least. It felt to me like everyone else had a qualifier in recovery and mine was still so deep in denial. I would wallow a bit in self-pity about it, but they told me to keep coming back and I'm glad I did. I can't say for sure when the miracle happened for me. I can say it was after I mustered the courage to actually get a sponsor and work the steps. I eventually came to a place of acceptance that my happiness was not dependent on someone else's sobriety. I realized that I was happier, more balanced, and serene with the program than without it. I realized that the only person my program was for was me. My husband is the main qualifier in my life, and it is true that he had a big resentment about me going to Al-Anon at first, which kind of fueled my determination to keep going. But one day he told me he noticed I was changing for the better, that I seemed happier and less reactive with the kids. Since then, he has more or less been supportive of my program, even though he doesn't choose to participate in a program of his own. Today, my husband still drinks, but I don't stink. I'm aware when his behaviors trigger me and I've gained the skill of hitting the pause button before I irrationally take it out on my children. I did that a lot before program. I worry less about him and use the tools to help me at work in parenting my strong-willed and wonderful girls. My girls often come with me to meetings with iPads in tow, and my 10-year-old has been introduced to Alateen. As my oldest hits her tweens, I'm ever grateful for the tools that my Al-Anon program brings to parenting. I use the traditions and concepts and how I relate to my family as a group, and it has made a tremendous difference in how we function as a family. Because of my program, I'm finally able to again see the playful, imaginative, evolved, and loving dad that my girls adore. Today, I am the change I want to be with the guidance of a higher power and a fellowship that loves me. Today, I know that I can find contentment, even happiness, whether the alcoholic is still drinking or not. I hope this share is helpful to someone else out there who struggles that their loved one is still not sober or perpetually relapsing. Because the greatest gift to me has been realizing that my program is not for him, it's for me. Thank you for letting me share, Kelly M. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. I identify with a lot of what you said, and it's it's a great share. Hopefully, others will connect with it. Thanks. Nancy wrote in response to the Spencer and Amy episode number 294. Hello, Spencer and Amy. Thank you for sharing together with honesty and courage your experience, strength, and hope in Al-Anon and AA. I have to admit, I was skeptical when I first started listening. 
I listened to a lot of your programs, but when I got to this one, I thought it would be another hero's story about hearts and flowers, a quick realization of alcoholism as the problem, an enduring serenity in Al-Anon and sobriety in AA within the first few meetings. I've heard a lot of leads like that, and I always end up feeling like a failure. I'm glad I kept listening to your stories. They are so similar to mine that I felt a kinship and compassion. I felt that I was truly not alone. My husband died from the disease of alcoholism after five care unit treatment centers, and I don't know how many hospitalizations for pancreatitis. We were together for 15 years. Like you, Spencer, I recall thinking so many times that he was still in there and that I loved him and I wanted to stay with him. I was 18 when we met. I entered Al-Anon at age 23. He lost a terrific job at GE due to his alcoholism. He was just 35 years old at the time. We had been on the brink of a beautiful future together because he'd just completed his first care unit treatment in May of that year. I graduated from nursing school the day he was released from the care unit. We were married in August. He relapsed sometime in there and was found to be intoxicated on the job. They offered him a chance to return to the care unit, but he refused. It was December, just before Christmas. He died when I was 34 and he was 46. Amy, I was afraid that you'd be talking about recovery from a young age when you mentioned that you were 47. I felt something that I could only call relief. It was as if I could now see my husband, not as a lost cause, but as someone who just didn't live long enough to achieve long-term sobriety. Quotes, there are those who cannot recover. They are not at fault. Spencer here, that quote is from the big book, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. I forget exactly where. I have a much longer story, but we'll leave it to to these details alone. I'm a grateful recovering member of Al-Anon, though I have only been back in the program for one year now. Long story, or should I say, long lead, smiley. Thank you both from the bottom of my heart, Nancy D. in Cincinnati. Thank you, Nancy, for for writing. I did forward that to, to Amy, and she was very appreciative. Liv writes, titled, Gratitude from a Newbie. On July 8th, I picked up my radiant 28-year-old daughter from her life-changing treatment facility. On her way home, she told me her counselor wanted us parents to attend Al-Anon in order to support her as best we could. Since my husband and 16-year-old son were in Atlanta for a week-long baseball tournament, I decided to attend an Al-Anon meeting that very evening and soon found myself sobbing as I listened to others share what I empathized with. Since nobody else was crying and only two of us were newbies, I quickly had an epiphany. Maybe Al-Anon was going to help me work on my emotions. I also soon realized that I should have become part of Al-Anon back in 2006 when I had found an almost empty bottle of vodka in my daughter's bedroom cupboard and my parents, younger sister, and I could have benefited from Al-Anon when the middle sister began abusing substances in 1980. She still does. The kind, welcoming members reminded me to focus on today rather than the past or the future, provided me with pamphlets, and encouraged me to come back. On my way home, I called my parents and urged them to start attending Al-Anon. My dad, and his dad, was a Lutheran pastor for 50 years and still does funerals for veterans and fills in for pastors in the Sun City area. Another pastor friend told me 30 years ago that the children of pastors should go to ACOA meetings. I now understand what she meant, even if she had been partially kidding. Since my younger sister had died this March at 48 because of type 1 diabetes complications, I've been scouring podcasts for good ones on grief, and I had an epiphany that I could find a podcast for Al-Anon that could help my family members better understand the 12 steps. Thank you, Mary Pearl T. and the 12 traditions. Yours has been the first and best podcast I've encountered and I've listened to, not just binged on at least 35 episodes. Thank you. While haven't yet contributed directly to this podcast, well, you're doing it now. I have ordered books through your website. I hope that helps. Let me know when you plan to play Mary Pearl T's explanation of Step 12, and I will contribute. I'd also love to hear episodes on applying the 12 steps to family reunions and weddings. I understand the tradition of anonymity, which is a hard one for me, because I've always been such an open book. 
My husband, whose father was an alcoholic, is extremely private about everything except our kids' accomplishments. Based on my one Al-Anon meeting, your The Recovery Show episodes, my daughter's insight, I'm getting a better idea about what living the serenity prayer means. However, I'd love to see what you and your posse have to say about applying the 12 steps and the serenity prayer to vocations like public school teaching. I've been fortunate to have taught English language arts to students in the same suburban high school since 1993. I've always been an overachiever and a people pleaser, and I realize now that it was no coincidence that my high blood pressure began my first year of teaching at the school. In fact, the unhealthy habits caused by my need to achieve sleep deprivation, anxiety, diet, cocaholism, <laughs> excessive processed carb intake, imbalance of sitting and exercising, along with my denial of warnings by my doctors, nurses, and my husband, led to my brain hemorrhage in 2011. Unlike most strokes and aneurysms, my kind was completely controllable. It had been caused by my high blood pressure. In the eight years since the brain bleed that led to hemiparesis of my left side, 38 days in the hospital, a year of rehab, a life of living a new normal, I had been a lefty and had to learn to use my right hand for everything, including writing, and so much more. Perhaps an episode of applying the 12 steps, the serenity prayer, to brain injuries could be beneficial. I'm sure I'm not the only one in Al-Anon facing this. One of the threads I've especially appreciated throughout your podcast episode is that there are no coincidences. Everything happens for a reason. This was especially true for me on July 8th and 9th. I brought my daughter home from treatment. One. Two. She told me about Al-Anon. Three. During a planning meeting at church, our new pastor explained spiritual formation and asked us to think of our personal spiritual formation. Four, I decided to attend my first Al-Anon meeting at a local church. Five, discussion, shares, and pamphlets led to important epiphanies, including the realization that our extended family and I can benefit from Al-Anon. Six, conversation with my parents leads me to search for podcasts on Al-Anon. Seven, I start listening to The Recovery Show. Eight, Mary Pearl T.'s explanation of the 12 steps connects with the discussion of spiritual formation, so I email appropriate podcast episodes to my pastors at the meeting. Nine, one of our pastors invites me to help plan a service of blessing and prayer for people who are recovering addicts and alcoholics and for members of groups like Al-Anon. This got a little long, but I want you to know how you and your podcast have blessed me. Thank you and shalom, Liv. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Liv. I'm glad that you are finding recovery. Pat left a voicemail here in response to a listener's question. Hey, Spencer. This is Pat from the West Coast. About a week and a half ago, somebody called in and said, what happens when your loved one doesn't find sobriety, my story falls down closer maybe to Eric's story, but my first husband did not find sobriety. I did end up divorcing him, but we had children together. They were adult children by the time we divorced. I actually did that intentionally so I wouldn't have to make a parenting plan with him. What happened from there was... Because of Al-Anon and using the tools, I was able to view him with compassion and detach with love. I was able to interact with him from time to time in a respectful manner and honor his decisions. He chose as much as I did not to share a lot of details from our private life. But what happened then was in the last two years, his health started failing, probably most assuredly related to his alcohol consumption. And our son was really incredibly involved and incredibly supportive of his father. And I was able to be very grateful and appreciative of my son's relationship with his father. 
able to be supportive using the al principles. And ultimately, my first husband ended up in the hospital very close to where I work and spent many months actually in that over the last six months before finally dying. And I was with him the day that he died. I was able to be there with him. And we had some really positive, loving times. We had the best memory I have is being able to go visit him at his skilled nursing facility and bring pictures from when the kids were little. And we looked through all these pictures, and it was such a wonderful, positive experience. And our son was there, and his fiance, his, my son's fiance, was there. And every time I saw him in those last couple years, I was able to love him and cherish him and appreciate him, support him, and and be there for him. And I am so incredibly grateful for that. He never found sobriety. And my son still struggles with that, with even the idea that maybe his dad was an alcoholic and I don't have any difficulty putting that label on him for a multitude of reasons. But the bottom line is what happens when you're alcoholic doesn't stop drinking. But you're in the program. You keep having choices that you get to make for yourself every single day. Do I stay or do I go? And ultimately, going was really the right thing for me. It may not be for everybody, but we get that choice, and we get that choice about how we interact with him, and we get the choice to detach with love, and we get the choice about every interaction we have with him. All I can say is that when you use the Al-Anon principles, I truly feel that the outcomes are as good as possible. You know, that's the hope and the strength and the experience that I have to offer because not everybody's story ends up really pretty. I wanted to share that because it's been a, a very intense six months and I just can't imagine how I would have gotten through it without having all of the Al-Anon program there buoying me up as I go along. Okay. Thank you, everyone. And Spencer, thank you again for your service. And have a great have a great week. Bye-bye. Thank you, Pat, for, for sharing that experience, strength, and hope. And maybe we can get you on to give us the longer version of that story sometime. Thanks. Kate writes, Just a quick note to let you know how much I enjoy your podcast. I meant to email for the Spiritual Awakening podcast, but I'm obviously a little late. Anyway, when I first started in the program as an experiment, I would pray, God, what should I do next when I would get to a lull in my day? Frequently, I would notice I would remember a chore I had meant to complete, or my kids would walk in the room and ask me to do something with them. These felt like answered prayers to me, and were the small building blocks of turning my will and life over to God. My sponsor tells me that saying something out loud in a meeting is a way to bring God into the situation. It's how I humble myself to Him. One of the first times I remember this was when I brought up a situation at work in which I felt like I was isolating myself. My sponsor was right. After talking about it in a meeting, my situation slowly changed and I could see God in this situation. To me, these feel like spiritual awakenings. Thanks again, Kate D. And thank you, Kate, for for sharing that, that spiritual awakening or those spiritual awakenings. Kathy has a question about judging and acceptance. 
Thanks again, Spencer, for your podcast and all that it offers us who struggle to maintain recovery. I especially appreciate how you have organized the website so that I can search for a topic of current interest. It helps me to hear those tidbits my higher power wants me to hear at just the right time. I recently realized how much my character defect of being judgmental was causing my life to be unmanageable at times. I've been reading a lot in the literature and talking to folks, but nothing seemed to be moving the needle on this program. So I took advantage of your system and listened to show number 104, which is titled Judgment. When you shared about listening for content as opposed to listening to edit, it was a sunshine moment for me. One of my character traits is being very analytical. Good for my job, lousy for my relationships. Some time ago, I was able to see the dual nature of this trait and was able to let a lot more stuff go that I used to think I had to figure out. Now I see that my judgmental nature is also two-sided. Being able to assess situations and deal with problems is superb for the work I do. Trying to edit other people's behavior, whether behind the wheel of a car or sitting at a table in a restaurant eating food I disapprove of, is simply insane. I am still working on this problem and trying to apply my seventh-step work to it, looking for positive behaviors to fill the gap left by letting go of so much judgment. Acceptance, openness, respect, kindness, generosity might be some of those, huh? Thanks for your help, Kathy in Delaware. Well, thank you, Kathy, and I think that's a that's a great insight on the seventh step. And this, I probably talked about this in in a seventh step episode or some other episode about you know when my defect's gone, what's going to replace it? Might be a fear and thinking about positive things that could come in instead. It's great. Brian writes, "Hi Spencer, I wanted to send you a note of gratitude. You may remember me mentioning I was working on the Essanon convention that was coming in Seattle. It happened last weekend and was a huge success. At the beginning, we thought we'd be lucky to get 450 people to show up. We had over 700. I had at least five people come up and ask if I was the same Brian that was on the recovery show. I really didn't expect to make face-to-face connections because of your podcast. Thank you, and thank you for your service." P.S. My wife ended up buying all of Mary Pearl T's talks that Lee had recorded. We both love listening to her, Brian J. And Brian was on the uh, was on the podcast uh, talking about Essanon in episode 280, which again, you can find at therecovery.show slash 280. Wes left a voicemail. Hi, Spencer. This is Wes listening from Columbus, Ohio. Was recently turned on to your podcast, to the recovery show by... My wife, who is an Al-Anon, I myself am in AA with uh, six months sober as of the Saturday before this past one, so July 6th. Just wanted to thank you for the podcast. I also started attending Al-Anon here this past Wednesday, the 10th, and between your podcast and what, I, what I'm learning from the literature, although not much is available in accessible formats as far as audio or Braille, but there are a few things. I often wonder if I'd known about Al-Anon beforehand. Perhaps I would never have walked down the uh, the path I walked down. But I just want to say your podcast is a huge inspiration. Um, my wife and I are currently separated, uh, mostly due to my drinking. But I believe there's hope for us. And the first episode I listened to was the the one with you and Amy, and it really gave me a lot of hope. First of all, I got to give you know commend you for staying, sticking it out, especially when you you started your recovery and she hadn't started hers yet. It took me a while to make the decision to get sober. I'm glad I did, and I'm glad I've made the decision to step into Al-Anon. What I'd like to say is I would love to hear, you know, more speakers, co-leads like yourself and Amy, where, you know, it's an Al-Anon and an AA, the ones who were successful, the ones who have made it work, because I think we all know it's a rough road. But I think we all know that with our higher power's help, with God's help, it can be done. And with the help of these both these great programs, keep up the great work. 
And I definitely plan to keep listening. I'm learning a lot. I just, I really appreciate you, um, both, both your show and Sober Speak kind of become my go-tos if I'm unable to get to a meeting or if I can't find something literature-wise in an alternate format. You guys cover so many topics that I'm usually able to find what I need when I need it. Thank you for that. It's an invaluable service. Have a great day. Thank you, Wes, for those words. And that would be, you know, that would be a wonderful thing. It needs people to volunteer. If you and your partner are an Al-Anon AA pair and you'd like to share your joint story, get in touch. Feedback at therecovery.show. It's probably the easiest way. Send me an email and we can figure out how to schedule it. Thanks. For listening and please keep coming back whatever your problems there are those among us who have had them too if we did not talk about a problem you are facing today feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode May understanding love and peace growing you one day at a time